70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Tôi tên là Hằng, một thính giả thường xuyên theo dõi và ủng hộ kênh tiếng Việt đài phát thanh và truyền hình Hàn Quốc KBS World Radio. Hello, I'm a long-time listener of KBS World Radio's Vietnamese service. I've been studying Korean and I'm always interested in learning about Korea, and I found about the channel in 2015. Thanks to KBS World Radio, I can stay updated on news from Korea. For a Korean language student, Drama Lines is a great teacher of expressions that are not in textbooks. I especially enjoy books on demand where I can learn about various literary works. It is also wonderful how KBS World Radio is setting up YouTube channels in different languages, including Vietnamese, for better access to its content. My heartfelt congratulations to KBS World Radio on its 70th anniversary. I hope you continue to serve as a bridge between Korea and the listeners from around the world. Seventy years with KBS World Radio, seventy years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. It's Tuesday, the 10th of October, and welcome to Career 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang Woo. Israel has imposed a total siege on Gaza after Hamas launched a surprise attack over the weekend, which left hundreds of people dead, many of them civilians. We'll have the latest in news briefings shortly. And then later, for our in-depth analysis segments, we'll examine how this came about, what comes next, and what it means for the world as well. And coming up, we have a special sports roundup segment looking back at Team Korea's performance at the Asian Games, which drew to a close on Sunday. We have all that and more on today's Korea 24. Israeli airstrikes pounded Gaza on Monday. This comes after a brutal and bloody surprise attack by Hamas, the Palestinian militant group, on Saturday. The combined death toll has now reportedly surpassed 1,600 people, and Israel has declared a complete siege of Gaza as well. Meanwhile, here in South Korea, President Yoon Song-yeol has ordered the foreign ministry and other government agencies to thoroughly prepare safety measures for South Korean residents and travellers. For this and our other major headlines of the day, we have in the studio with us Kim In-kyung, our Deputy Editor-in-Chief of KBS World's English News Service. In-kyung, hello. Hello, jang So it's Tuesday and we've now entered the fourth day of the conflict. Uh, let's begin with the 
latest number of casualties that have been reported from Israel's war with Hamas that erupted so suddenly over the weekend. Sure, the combined death toll from the two sides has exceeded 1,600. According to Israeli newspaper Haaretz, health authorities said on Tuesday that Hamas's attacks have left some 900 people dead and more than 2,400 injured. Gaza's health ministry on its part estimated that 704 people had been killed and 3,726 injured. Apart from the two sides' estimates, the Israeli military said 1,500 bodies of Hamas militants were found in Israeli territory in the process of gaining control in the south and restoring control over the border, which means the death toll is expected to increase. Israel also said Hamas is holding some 150 hostages. With the Washington Post reporting that at least four Israeli hostages appear to have been killed immediately after being kidnapped. Going back to the beginning of the attack, can you give us a brief rundown of what happened, especially as this is the first Korea 24 show since the Hangul Day break? Yes, deadly conflict erupted on Saturday with thousands of missiles launched into Israel by Hamas a day after the seven-day-long Jewish festival of Sukkot ended. Air raid sirens began blaring in Jerusalem at around 6.30 a.m. as an estimated 2,200 rockets were fired toward the southern and central parts of the country, including Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, with Hamas claiming that at least 5,000 rockets were fired. Hours after the initial attack, Israel's fighter jets began launching retaliatory strikes in Gaza, followed by the first public statement by Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu announcing that Israel is at war. The Israel Defense Forces reported on Monday that its fighter jets struck some 130 targets in the Gaza Strip, many targeting regions that served as a hub for Hamas. On Tuesday, Israel said it has retaken control of the Gaza border fence, with no Hamas fighters having crossed into Israel since Monday night. As we mentioned earlier, here in South Korea, President Yoon sung yeol ordered government agencies to thoroughly prepare safety measures for Korean residents and travellers in Israel. Uh, what else did he say about the conflict? Presiding over a cabinet meeting on Tuesday, Yoon forecast that the crisis could expand to an international conflict with Iran and Lebanon-based Hezbollah supporting Hamas and the U.S., Britain, France and Germany backing Israel's right of self-defense. He caused concerns over the impact on the domestic economy aimed already amid already high interest rates, saying that past armed conflicts in the Middle East led to soaring global oil prices and cost-push inflation. The president urged officials to closely respond to external factors causing uncertainties and to exert efforts to minimize the burden on public livelihoods from inflation and increased interest. And how many Koreans are there currently in Israel? And is the government making any plans such as evacuation? There are currently 570 South Koreans in Israel on long-term residence visas and about 480 staying short-term. Foreign Minister Park Jin said the government is mulling ways to evacuate the 480 travellers, most of whom are on pilgrimages. He said the government is working to ensure the safety of the South Koreans and will consider all necessary measures. The Foreign Ministry also said that 191 short-term residents will leave Israel via a Korean air flight on Tuesday, while 27 will leave to neighbouring Jordan by land, with 30 others are set to evacuate on a Turkish Airlines flight on Thursday. So far, there have been no reports of casualties involving South Koreans in the Israel-Hamas conflict. Yes, we'll look closer at this situation for our in-depth coming up later after this news briefing. Turning to other headlines now. Two back-to-back 6.3 earthquakes struck Herat, western Afghanistan, followed by several powerful aftershocks on Saturday. Can you tell us the casualty numbers from the earthquakes? 
as the number of casualties has reportedly surged to over 4,500, including about 2,400 deaths. 35 teams are con- conducting search operations, but the number of casualties are expected to increase further. Without support for rescue efforts, residents of Hirata are reportedly digging through the debris with their bare hands and shovels to pull out buried people. Relief from the international community at large does not appear likely, however, with foreign aid to Afghanistan suspended upon the Taliban's return to power in August 2021, setting the country up for a serious humanitarian crisis. Seoul's foreign ministry expressed condolences for victims of the earthquake and their families in a statement on Monday, adding it hopes that the affected areas are swiftly restored. In economic news, Samsung Electronics and SK Hynix received waivers from the U.S. to import chip manufacturing equipment to their factories in China. Can you tell us what this means? Yes, the U.S. recently notified South Korea that it has designated Samsung Electronics and SK Hynix as chip factories in China as verified end-users, allowing the export of designated items to companies that have been approved in advance. The designation, which is effective immediately, will reduce the burden of obtaining a separate permit. The presidential office said on Monday that the decision has resolved the most significant trade issue facing South Korean semiconductor companies. And finally, the 21st National Assembly's final audit of the government agencies kicked off on Tuesday for a 24-day run as the 17 parliamentary standard committees audit 791 state organisations until November 8th. A fierce political battle is expected between the two rival parties. Can you tell us some of uh, what happened on the first day of the audit today? The first day of the audit includes reviews of relevant agencies and organizations by 10 parliamentary committees, including the Legislation and Judiciary Committee and Defense Committee. During the audit of the Interior Ministry on Tuesday, parties clashed over the responsibility for last year's Itaewon crowd crush tragedy. DP lawmaker Kang Byung-won slammed the current administration, saying that the government has only pinned the blame on low-ranking officials, while high-ranking officials did not take responsibility. Ruling People Power Party lawmaker Park Song-min argued that the impeachment of Interior Minister Lee Sang-min caused a vacuum, arguing that in the five and a half months that he was removed from his position, various disasters occurred in the country. Parties clashed over Japan's release of contaminated water from the Fukushima nuclear power plant at the Foreign Affairs Committee. The PPP denounced the DP for inciting public anxiety and dealing blows to fishermen and fishery industries by promoting anti-Japan sentiment out of the general elections, while the DP accused the government of siding with Japan. That's all for our news briefing today. Ingyang, thank you for those updates. Thank you. Israel is at war with Hamas. The Palestinian militant group launched an unprecedented surprise attack on southern Israel. The latest combined Israeli and Palestinian death toll has surpassed 1,500, many of them civilians, and looks like it could be just the beginning, with Israel declaring a complete siege of Gaza. The world is closely watching, especially as concerns of the US and Iran's direct involvement in the conflict are growing. To analyse the situation and its impact on the world and South Korea, we have joining us on the line now Professor Park Hyun-do from Sogang University, a renowned expert of the Middle East and its relations with East Asia. Professor Park, hello and thank you for your time today. Thank you very much for having me. 
So it seems the world has been thrown into turmoil once again. Can you explain for our listeners how this situation has erupted? What's the reason for the current conflict? Well, it is very difficult to gauge, actually, the, or estimate what would be the real cause of the conflict. But what is certain is that, let me check with, first of all, uh, the, the Hamas official, actually, the explanation for the cause of their, their conflict. Mm. The leader of Hamas military wing, for example, the Mohammed Daif, he said that the assault was in response to the 16-year blockade of Gaza by the Israeli forces. And also Israeli raids inside West Bank cities over the past year and violence at Al-Aqsa Mosque and increasing attacks by settlers on Palestinians and the growth of settlements. These are the formal reasons why Hamas, they, they themselves actually declarify that they invaded, invaded the Israel. But the timing itself is quite uh, auspicious because, you know, the, the, it, 50 years ago, in 1973, uh, the 6th of the October, which also falls on Saturday, the Egypt, Egyptian army actually the, made a surprise attack uh, on Israel and starting the, the fourth Arab-Israeli war. And this year, 50 years later, Seventh uh, of October, which falls on also the the Saturday, the Sabbath for the Jewish people, and the Hamas actually the chose the very interesting, actually the very meaningful day for them. So the this attack is well orchestrated and well planned, but at the same time, why why this time? Mm. And I think that probably the currently geopolitical situations surrounding the Middle East is very ripe for the closer relationship between Israel and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And probably in order to put pressure on Saudi Arabia not to have any relationship with Israel, uh, probably the Hamas was willing to uh, cause, the, cause problems with the Saudi Arabia and saying that we are here, and the Palestinian matters are still uh, to be solved. So you cannot simply go friendly with it, with Israel. I think probably this is one of the main reasons why the Hamas made a very surprise attack on Israel this time. Right. So as you said, it was surprising. But uh, as you said, it fell on this um anniversary and it's really now being dubbed the second October war as well. So what happens next? Israel has hit back, uh, launching strikes from air and sea, which are already thought to have killed hundreds of Palestinians in Gaza. Israel has also declared a complete siege of Gaza. How, uh, do you think Israel will be able to destroy Hamas as it has vowed? And how do you think the hostage situation will affect Israel's military operations. Hamas has said that they will execute one Israeli hostage for every strike on civilian homes in the Gaza Strip and that they will publish footage of the executions as well. Actually, the, right now, the Israeli government is in a real problem because, you know, uh, if it is a normal state, probably it has to. It has to actually take a revenge. Definitely, mm. so quite natural. But the problem is that the, the Hamas is the Hamas is holding the hostages mm. and their Israeli citizens, and whether Israel is 
actually risking um, the, the lives of the, their own citizens by the Hamas and the bombarding the Gaza. I think it is a very difficult situation and very difficult, uh, actually, the decision to make. And there is also the pros and cons, actually, the, the controversy uh, breakout in, in Israel itself. I mean, the ultra-nationalists, they say that, okay, we need to risk, actually, the losing our hostages and the go destroy the Hamas. The, but the problem is that I don't think it is possible to destroy Hamas completely. No. Once, well, this time, Israel can possibly destroy Hamas, but the another Hamas will come out. So it is a method of actually repetition and the vicious cycle is still going, 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 going forever until the meaningful solution we can find for the Palestinian matters. So this is the big dilemma. But at the same time, I sympathize with the Israeli government over the loss of the more than 1,000 the citizens. Mm. And it is absolutely horrible. But the problem is, I think it's probably the Israeli government needs to take a very sober, uh, very uh, calculated attacks or surprise the, 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 ven- the vengeful attacks on Hamas because the Israel, for them, also, the, the Saudi Arabia is actually the, is saying that, uh, or asking the, in a sense, indirectly, mm. uh, Israeli government not to uh, target the civilians in Gaza. But how is it possible for Israel uh, to destroy Hamas without hurting any civilian in Gaza? Mm. This is a dilemma, big dilemma. Right, especially because Hamas, uh, they are in uh, homes, essentially. They are uh, mixed in amongst the population in uh, Gaza. So it's hard to be surgical in their attacks. So there will be a lot of uh, uh, the world will be watching Israel's actions uh, in the coming days. The Wall Street Journal, meanwhile, has claimed that Iran helped plot the attack on Israel, citing senior Hamas and Hezbollah officials. Uh, Iran has denied this, and Israeli and U.S. officials have also so far that there's no uh, concrete evidence of Iran's involvement. But speculation remains rife. Do you think it's possible that Iran uh, is behind the Hamas attack against Israel, or helped coordinate it at least, and what would they gain from it if they were involved? Iran is negating any allegations, actually. This is quite a perhaps is a very wishful thinking because, you know, Iran is not that much actually the foolish uh, enough to uh, make this kind of the, this kind of the palpable mistakes because, you know, the, there is nothing Iran can gain, gain from uh, the orchestrating the surprising attack on Israel by Hamas. Because, you know, now Iran tries to actually make friendlier uh, gestures and attitudes towards the, the, the United States. And also it wants to make, a, make a, in a sense, relative peace with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. But suddenly, I know the Iran is not very happy with the prospect that the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia is making a friendly relationship with Israel. Mm. And, well, definitely Iran warned many times. And we know that Iran is not very, Iran does not actually welcome the former relationship the former relationship between Saudi Arabia and Israel. Mm. But 
I don't think actually the Iran was actually the, the asking Hamas to do it. In a sense, yeah, Iranian statement is quite simple. We support Hamas, but we did not intervene. So in mm. a sense, actually, the Hamas, uh, the Hamas is doing, uh, well, the deed uh, alone. Right. But the, the problem is that it is very difficult in, at the same time. It is very difficult to... Uh, difficult to actually detach Iran from this attack because, you know, Hamas and Iran and Hezbollah, they have all the same goal to liberate Palestine, to destroy the Zionist regime in Israel. Mm. So in this sense, well, well, we say that, okay, Iran is probably perhaps behind the, behind the attack, but we don't have any tangible evidence that right. this is the problem. Right. Mm. So you have doubts over Iran's involvement, but it's uh, hard to detach uh, Iran from the situation, you're saying. Mm-hmm. So then uh, the US Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said the Ford Carrier Strike Group will sail to uh, the eastern Mediterranean to assist Israel. So the US is sending uh, the USS General R. Ford, which is the, US's, uh, the US Navy's most advanced aircraft carrier. And the US has already begun shipping uh, critical munitions and other equipment to Israel. Do you think then it's possible that the current conflict could expand to a bigger war involving the US and Iran and their allies? I think probably the United States is preparing uh, for any attacks from the Hezbollah mm. or any regional actors actually participating in the further uh, furthering the, 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 the further escalating the situation. In a kind of sort of a preventative measures, not actually deal actually the warfare. So I think the United States is make a very smart move in order to contain the Hezbollah, because the Hezbollah may actually attack from behind. But uh, I don't think the Hezbollah will make any move. If you know the problem is that if well, Hamas is entirely different from Hezbollah. Mm. Hamas was not created by Iran, but Hezbollah was created by Iran. So Iran created Hezbollah. So if Hezbollah takes part, takes any part actually in this conflict, then it is quite automatically we can say that oh, Iran is behind it. Right. So Iran would not like to make that kind of impression. So probably the, even though, even if the Hezbollah really likes to get in the conflict, Iran would actually dissuade the, the Hezbollah in doing so. So probably the, the Hezbollah would not take part. In a sense, so I don't think that there will be any, the, the, the regional war actually the, is bigger mm. and bigger. Mm. Uh, probably it will be, and it is much better for United States and Israel mm. to confine uh, this, this conflict between Hamas, Hamas and Israel is much better. If it is actually goes beyond then beyond actually that frame, right. it will cause a lot of problems actually for both the United States and Israel and and also the Saudi Arabia. Well, it is of course a volatile and uncertain situation, and things are developing quickly. But uh, Professor, how do you think this current situation will affect the wider world and also? Uh, as far as places like South Korea, what knock-on effects could there be? What risks do we need to watch out for? Do you think? Actually, the the as as you well, South Korean government is always tried to be in neutral because you know the we cannot uh, we can sympathize with Israel and also we, we Saudi the Korean government should actually mourn for the loss of the innocent lives. 
the Israeli citizens, but it, and also we can actually denounce the terrorist attacks by the Hamas, but not more than that. Actually, we do not have to actually play any role in the regional actually the warfare, but we on the on the on the uh, clear basis of the human rights and, and democracy, we give. Actually, the, we can say a lot of condolences to the Israel and give a moral support. But at the same time, we need to take care of the Palestinian the normal citizens, not the Hamas. So in order, in order to actually make, bring peace to the region, we, our country uh, should be very careful uh, in not taking any side with any, particularly with the normal Palestinians and also other people. Not, right. not actually, the, the Hamas is, is, not a, is not a concern for us, actually. Hamas is a terrorist, but it made a terrorist attacks. So we cannot actually simply, simply welcome all those kind of things. It is absolutely, absolutely impossible. But uh, we should not actually be thrown into that warfare that uh, we can uh, we can make a, a very smooth and also very careful steps and attitude uh, to, for our economy and also the political situations. Right, well, we're going to have to leave it there, uh, Professor. We've been speaking with Professor Park Hyun-do from Sogang University. Thank you once again for your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index shed 6.15 points, or 0.26% on Tuesday, to close the day at 2,402.58. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also fell 21.39 points, or 2.62%, to close at 795.00. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 0.41 against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,349.51. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. It's time now for Korea Trending, our daily segments where we take a look at some other news stories that have been trending online. And for that, we have with us in the studio now contributor Diane Yu. Diane, hello. Hello, Jango. So we start with uh, more news related to the shocking attacks by Hamas in mm-hmm. Israel and the start of the war between the two. Understandably, stories about the conflict have been trending in Korea too. Right, including the story about German-Israeli citizen Chani Luke, who was abducted on Saturday by militants while attending a music festival 10 kilometers away from the border with Gaza. Videos circulating on social media showed gunmen displaying Luke's body on the back of a vehicle surrounded by cheering supporters. Another video of her enjoying her time at the festival with her friends just hours before the attack has also been circulated online. Right, it's that juxtaposition that has really struck people, I think. The mm-hmm. one video showing this youthful, carefree dancing woman seemingly enjoying life. Right. And then the other video just hours later of darkness, sheer mm-hmm. darkness, her semi-naked body being paraded through the streets mm-hmm. on the back of this uh, pickup truck. Right. Reports say that she was unconscious in the video, mm-hmm. but others say 
that they fear that she's already dead, but there's been no official confirmation, I understand, though. That's correct. Uh, and despite the reports, her mother has come out and asked for help to find Shani. Her family has been desperately trying to reach her, and to their horror, the mother re- recognized her daughter in the said video on social media. The woman in the footage was facing down, but the family was able to identify her from her dreadlocks and distinctive tattoos. Yes, it's a truly desperate situation for her family. And while most of the victims in Israel since the attack have been, of course, Israelis, there are tens of other foreign nationals who have died or gone missing, right? Right, including people from the USA, the UK, France, Ukraine and Thailand. As for South Korean nationals, according to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, no Korean residents or travellers in Israel have been injured or killed as of Monday. Yes, well, we certainly hope all those who are missing are found soon. Uh, I fear, though, there will be more stories like Luke uh, coming over the next few days. In the meantime, let's uh, move on to the second story of the day. What do you have for us? We've talked many times about how South Korea's birth rate is plunging, and experts outside of Korea have been keeping their eyes on the statistics, and the Nobel Economics Prize winner Claudia Golden is one of them. Golden, a professor of economics at Harvard University, showed deep interest in the country's low birth rate problem at a press conference held at Harvard University in Boston on Monday morning local time. Yes, she was announced the winner of the Nobel Prize for Economics on Monday Mm -hmm. in recognition of her groundbreaking work examining uh, wage inequality between men and women. And she believes that this is the very fundamental reason for South Korea's low birth rate. Right. Professor Golden believes that the prejudice that women should always take care of childcare has broken fairness between couples and created this wage gap, uh, in which, which in turn contributed toward the, the low birth rate issue. She also explained that Korea has achieved a huge economic development in a short period of time, similar to what the United States has achieved over several centuries and added that the faster the speed of development, the more we are bound to clash with tradition, which in this setting would be the male-dominant culture. Right. So what does she say needs to change to alter the course for uh, South Korea's nosediving birth rate? Golden believes that the older generation's thinking and the men who have been living under their influence need to change, as well as corporate culture. She pointed out that both Japan and Korea, which are experiencing the problem of low birth rates, have excellent government policies in place, but are lacking in efforts to implement them in the workplace. Right, so much for Korea to consider. In the meantime, congratulations to the professor, who is only the third woman to win the prestigious prize. Mm -hmm. And let's turn to our final story now. What else has been trending? Following the lifting of coronavirus pandemic restrictions in Korea, many people took off their masks and returned to their normal lives. And as the weather became cooler, cooler, the unwelcome guest of the fall season, influenza, also known as the flu, became rampant. Mm. According to the Korea Disease Control and Prevention Agency on Tuesday, the number of patients with suspected flu symptoms nationwide was 20.8 per 1,000 outpatients from September 24th to the 30th. This is an increase of approximately 20% from 17.3 the previous week. Right, and according to the agency as well, that number is what we had in December last year, Mm -hmm. meaning that the spread of influenza is faster this year. Correct. What's uh, more pressing is that the spread of the virus is... uh, 
especially severe in schools, right? Right. The proportion of suspected flu cases among elementary school students aged 7 to 12 was 53.8, an 8.3-fold increase compared to the same period last year. And the number of middle and high school students increased by about six times during the same period as well. And it's not just schools. The entertainment industry has also been hit hard by the fast spread of influenza, with K-pop group Le Seraphim's canceling a two-day concert which was scheduled to be held in Bangkok, Thailand last weekend. The group's agency Source Music explained that three of its members suddenly showed symptoms of high fever and headache and visited the hospital and were diagnosed with influenza A. Right, so it seems flu shots are all the more important this year then and to right. get it fast. Uh, there are many options for people in Korea, of course, who have not been vaccinated yet, including the free national flu vaccination program, which started last month already, right? Yes, it be- began on September 20th for children between the ages of six months and 13 years who are eligible for two doses. Those 75 and older can get the shot sequentially starting Wednesday and those 65 and older starting the following week. Health authorities also urged the general public who are not el- eligible for free vaccination to get get vaccinated at a nearby medical institution. Yes, it looks like it could be a particularly long and widespread flu season this year as well. That's where we wrap it up for today's Career Trending. Thank you for those stories, Diane, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Now, usually we have touch basins hall on Tuesday, but because yesterday was a holiday and because the Asian Games came to a close over the weekend, we've decided to switch things around and bring our listeners a late sports roundup, a special wrap-up of the Asiads. And for that, we have two guests uh, with us today. First, we have sports writer Yu Jiho from the United News Agency on the line. Jiho, hello and welcome back. Yeah, it's great to be back. Uh, we also have here in the studio with us sports writer Steve Price. Steve, hello. It's uh, good to have you with us again. Yeah, it was great to fill in for Jiho last week. And yeah, it's good to be here again. Yes, indeed. Thank you uh, for everything you've done for us uh, over the last week as well. So uh, the curtain came down on the Hangzhou Asian Games on Sunday. Team Korea earned 42 golds and ended third in the unofficial medals table after China and Japan. So Jiho, can you sum it all up for us? Yeah, so Korea, like you pointed out, winning uh, 42 gold medals uh, plus 59 silver medals and 89 bronze medals for 190 total. So, you know, typically in events like this, they do the standings by the gold medal counts. And by that, Korea finished in third place behind uh, China and Japan. Overall, Korea ended up winning two more medals than Japan, but trailed by 10 in the gold medal count. Um, So, you know, compared to the 2018 Asian Games in uh, in Indonesia, Korea was able to narrow the gap a little bit on Japan. Uh, Back then, there were 26 gold medals behind Japan, 75 to 49. Uh, This time, a a little closer, 52 to 42. So for for Korea, their goal was to win about 45 to 50 gold medals and finish in third place and narrow the gap with Japan to maybe down to a single digit. So if you look at it from that perspective, you know, Korea fell a little short of the gold medal target, but ended up in third place, which, you know, is not particularly difficult to do in the Asian Games if you're one of those three countries. Uh, right. Korea has been either second or third pretty much every competition since uh, 1986. 
but uh, yeah, we're, they were able to, able to kind of close the gap a little, but not uh, not down to a single digit just yet. And uh, that, I think that in particular might have disappointed maybe some of the um, uh, higher ups at the uh, Korean Olympic Committee, right? Uh, because Japan doesn't tend to send all of the best best athletes to the Asian Games, especially in this particular edition, because it's right one year before the Olympics. And uh, some of the sports, uh, you know, their world championships kind of overlapped with Asian Games. Mm. And then some of the world championships, they had Olympic quotas actually offer grabs. So Japan, in some cases, decided to send their top athletes to the world championships instead of the Asian Games. Whereas in Korea, uh, they're kind of, you know, well, not kind of, they almost always go all in on Asian Games. Right, right. And especially for the male athletes, because they have the military service exemptions on the line uh, if they can win the gold medals in the Asian Games. So, um, you know, given that kind of, um, I guess, the level of competition, maybe finishing 10 behind Japan is kind of maybe a disappointment in, in, uh, in, to some degree, but overall a very solid, uh, I would say, performance in, uh, out in China. Yes, yeah, so it's the second Asiads in a row that Korea has finished third after finishing second in every Asiad from uh, 1998 to 2014. So it looks like uh, this could be the new normal now for Korea. But still, uh, many in Korea were proud of the fight uh, they put up. Steve, let's turn to you now. Which sport or team stood out for you from Team Korea this year? Yeah, so for me, the swing team really kind of stood out this year. They did a lot better than uh, in the previous Asian Games. They actually won six gold medals, four silvers and five bronzes and set one Asian record and four Asian Games records. So that's really quite impressive there. Um, before the Games, there was you know, so much focus on Huang Sonu, who, uh, you know, is, of course, he's best in the 200-metre freestyle and he won the gold in that. Uh, but actually... Uh, Kim Min won two individual golds for the 400 and 800 metres freestyle. So he did the best um, out of the swimmers there. Mm. Uh, both of them, of course, were part of that gold winning uh, four by 200 metre freestyle team. So they got two and three golds together respectively Mm. and yeah you could see how impressive the men's freestyle team were because out of the eight golds which were up for grabs Korea claimed five of them and they took home the silver in two of the others Um, unfortunately the women's swing team couldn't quite match that success they only got a single silver and four bronzes Uh, but yeah that swimming performance overall was certainly something Korea's improved on since the last Asian Games and is something to look forward to in the Olympics, I'd say. Indeed. Um, I was also yeah, impressed by the men's football team, um, who yeah, everybody kind of says they're going to win it or whatever, but it's a lot harder to actually go and do that. And I remember back in, in 2018, they seemed so nervous in the final and didn't know what to do. Uh, this time, I thought, even though they let in that early goal against Japan in the final, they remained so professional and just kept playing their own game, trying to play good football. They didn't show any arrogance or any expectation that they should win or anything like that. They just went out there and did their job really professionally and got the result they deserved. So I was very impressed by them. Yes, I think many people are very happy for them, especially because uh, many of their stars in the team will now be exempt from the mandatory military service, as Chiho said earlier. Stars like Yi Gang-in, of course, a welcome boost to his career. Now there's uh, nothing to stop him from taking over Europe, uh, it seems, hopefully, anyway. Uh, Jiho, what about you? Which uh, team career performances stood out to you? Yeah, so I would like to kind of talk about it in 
sort of in the first half and second half of the uh, the competition. The first week, first full week, I think you know Steve talked about swimming, and also uh, you know taekwondo and fencing. Those three sports really did a lot of heavy lifting in the first week of the event. Uh, fencing, of course, winning six gold medals there. Uh, swimming, a uh, Korean record of uh, and a half a dozen gold medals, with uh, Kim Woo-min joining Park Tae-hwan as the only Korean uh, male swimmers to win three gold medals in a single Asiad. And also Taekwondo, both from Kyorugi, uh, which is combat style, and Pumse, which is kind of a demonstration uh, discipline of Taekwondo, combining for five gold medals, really. And then in the, toward the second half, uh, some of the, uh, I guess, team events kind of picked things up. Uh, football, uh, baseball, uh, toward the end, and uh, you, know, you know, badminton doing well as well with uh, with the Anja Young winning the women's uh, a singles gold medal, basically on one leg. Right. Uh, you know, she was injured uh, um, in, in the middle of the final against Chen Yufei, award number three, but Anja Young being award number one, kind of cementing her status, um, almost almost even validating or justifying her rankings by winning the women's silver uh, individual gold medal after helping the team gold medal. Uh, with with the rest of our teammates, and also archery, the recurve, uh, you know, d- discipline with the men's team, women's team, uh, women's individual, and the mixed team event. Uh, Korea winning all those gold medals there, except mm-hmm. for the men's individual, I would say. Uh, so Im Ji-hyun becoming the second triple gold medalist, uh, joining Kim Woo-min from swimming uh, to to grab three gold medals in archery. So uh, those events really uh, uh, stood out, and uh, you know we have. Uh, uh, in weightlifting, Park Kejong and Son Young-hee, Korean one and two finish in the women's heavyweight class. Uh, Park Kejong becoming the first uh, Korean champion in the heavyweight class since uh, none other than Chang Miran, uh, one of the greatest of all time. Now currently a <laughs> sports vibe minister, mm. uh, she was in Hangzhou for a bit uh, in the early in the early days to cheer on the athletes, and unfortunately she was not there uh, to watch the weightlifting gold medal. But uh, I'm sure she was cheering hard from home here. So. Uh, those are some of the events I think that really carry the day in the latter half of the competition. Sure, the badminton star An Seung, her finishing that final on essentially one leg, as you said, she was spent most of the match hobbling on that uh, in that match. It was heartbreaking to see, but that sheer determination and resilience pulled her through, and it was just an incredible sight. Also, a special mention to Kim Hong Yeol, aka Hong Ten, who won silver in the debut of breaking or break dancing at the Asian Games at thirty. Eight years old this year, and he uh, lost out just to his opponent, who was 21 years old in the final. So, yes, he's uh, only lost by single vote as well. So it's incredible to see that he's still going strong. Okay, so those were some of the highlights. But as we said, Korea fell short of its medal target, meaning that there were some disappointments as well. Uh, Jiho, where did Korea fall short this time? Yeah, you know, I want to say... I want to point out a couple of uh, team sports here. Uh, volleyball, the men's and women's volleyball teams, both finishing out of medals together for the first time. And in the men's team's case, they were knocked out of the medal contention actually the day before the opening ceremony. Uh, you know, the preliminary rounds began in volleyball a few days before the opening ceremony, and then uh, Team Korea could not get in, could not even get into the final eight, the quarterfinals. Um, so. You know, they were out of medals before the competition even really began and ended up in the uh, seventh place. Uh, women's volleyball team finishing in fifth. Uh, head, coach, head coaches for both teams were let go uh, just a couple of days ago after uh, their tournament ended. And, uh, uh, you know, basketball teams also disappointed. Mm. Women's team uh, ended up, did end up winning the bronze medal after beating North Korea for the second time in the tournament. But uh, they were just, you know, 
played off the court by Japan uh, in the semifinals. And um, same for the men's team, actually, in the preliminary stage, uh, losing to Japan, despite the fact that Japan's male team did not send their best players. Hmm. Uh, you know, did probably their, you know, not even their second best group of players. And, right. and Korea, uh, granted, they had some injury issues with some of the forwards, so they're a little bit undersized in some, some positions, but... Uh, on paper, they should have been able to defeat Japan, uh, but uh, they, they ended up losing that game and uh, uh, did not get into the meta round. So uh, a lot of disappointment on the court. And also in some other combat sports, uh, wrestling, not winning gold, any gold medal for the first time in 13 years, and no gold medal also from boxing. Uh, just one gold medal from judo, where Korea had traditionally done well in, in previous competitions. So those right. uh, three events, I think Korea kind of missed out on a few medals there. Yes, I think it was especially disappointing to see the women's volleyball team struggle once again after uh, seeing such highs only two years ago at the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, Steve, what about you? Where do you think Korea should have perhaps done better? Yeah, so I mean, for me, whenever you think of these big sporting events like the Asian Games, like the Olympics and so on, um, there's certain kind of sports that really spring to mind, the ones that everybody kind of thinks of uh, when they think of these events. And a lot of those are things like track and field athletics, that you know, like the hundred meter sprint or the long jump. Um, you know, they're always there. You know, some sports like ba- baseball or breakdancing kind of come and go a bit depending on uh, the particular Olympics uh, games, for example. Right. And yeah, in athletics, Korea were basically non-existent. Um, there were forty-nine gold medals on offer, and Korea didn't win any of them. Their best was uh, silver in the high jump. And then uh, two bronzes in the men's 100-meter relay and the women's hammer throw. Uh, so you know, those events, along with uh, cycling and rowing, which are also two kind of mainstay events of the Asian Games and Olympics, uh, Korea didn't win a single gold in either of those uh, either. Mm. So for me, getting absolutely none at all is kind of a, a place where obviously there could be some improvements. Yeah, if um, South Korea only cares about the number of medals uh, that it wins, right. then this is an obvious area to improve. Korea has lots of track and field infrastructure. Almost every district has a running track. <laughs> sure. Uh, in, <laughs> sure, as everybody knows. But it hasn't seen any real success at all in this Asian Games. Um, maybe if the, the aim of the Olympics, uh, the aim of the um, Asian Games is... For people to succeed in the sports they enjoy, uh, yeah, perhaps the focus should be elsewhere. But if it's simply about how many medals you win, then this is somewhere where they could invest in and win. Because yeah, even if they win one or two, that's still an, imp- an improvement on none, isn't it? Sure, sure. Um, and then, yeah, individually, like you know, a lot of times these things are decided by you know, millimeters and things like that. So it's maybe a bit harsh to pick on any individual athletes. But there's right. one person i do want to mention because uh maybe what happened to him is gonna have an effect a bit longer than the asian games and that is of course the tennis star kwon sunu uh he did actually win a bronze in the men's mixed doubles but he crashed out extremely early in one of the earliest rounds of the men's singles to a much much lower ranked opponent right and you know usually people would forget about that but yeah maybe he He's kind of recovering from an injury, so maybe it was because of that in his poor form. He was angry with himself. Maybe he was angry with his opponent's kind of time-wasting style tactics during the game, which if you're a lower-ranked opponent is sometimes a thing you have to do to mm, uh, mm. be able to compete. Uh, but whatever the reason, uh, Quan just 
lost control. He smashed up his racket. Uh, he didn't shake his opponent's hands. And unfortunately for him, that video went viral and people online were all around the world were criticizing him uh, and all sorts of bad things. Even though he, he did eventually make an apology, it's, you know, the damage has been done. There's even right. rumors that he, he got dumped from his, by his girlfriend because of it. So <laughs> His pop star girlfriend, I understand. Yeah, yeah she yes. used to be in, in the Wonder Girls. Yeah, right, right. It's anybody but him at the moment. Um, yes. But yeah. Like normally, if you do badly, people forget about it after a few weeks. But for him, it could be a longer term damage. So for him, it's very disappointing. Yes, we talked about on the show at the time as well. He's not the first tennis player to have a racket smashing tantrum on the court, of course. But uh, to do it while he had the Korean flag on his chest was uh, ill-advised, to say the least. OK, let's try to wrap things up then. Let me your final thoughts on Team Korea's performances. Steve, uh, let's try to keep it brief. What lessons do you think we can learn from this year's uh, Asian Games? Yeah, I think for, for me, the big lesson is yeah, not to be too expecting and too harsh on athletes who don't reach their expectations. Um, Korea, it's not number two anymore, I think. And the next Asian Games is in Japan. So I'd imagine Japan's going to finish number two there. And mm. um, also, in, India's making huge strides and you'd see it moving up the medal table. So eventually, probably not the next Asian Games, but the one after or so, India could even overtake South Korea. So right. even you know, in the future, as this number of medals kind of starts to slowly decrease, we shouldn't get too disappointed by it. Hmm. Right. And finally, Jiho as well. What are your final thoughts? Yeah, I guess, you know, my final thought is you can play video games and you can win a gold medal in Asian Games. Uh, so... You know, if, if your kids are playing games all the time, just maybe stop yelling at them and then maybe they grow <laughs> to become a medalist in Asian Games. And, you know, you, you talked about Kim Hong-yeo being a, an Asian Games medalist at 38. We have an even older Asian Games champion in, the, in eSports, mm. uh, Kim Guan-ru, who won the uh, Street Fighter Five title at age 44. Um, so I, I guess it can be an inspiration. It can be, a, I don't know, kind of a, a <laughs> ray of sunshine for a lot of the people in in, in, in their 40s and you know, Definitely. Uh, if, you, if you're driven, if you have the determination and drive, you can achieve anything. So, um, so that's kind of on the lighter note, I guess. Uh, maybe on a, on a different note, uh, you've got to, you know, finish your competition. You got to never assume anything. Uh, you know, I think we saw from uh, a roller speed skating uh, a men's relay team with the Korean uh, anchor Chong uh, uh, Chol Won kind of right. celebrating a little too early, a fraction of a second too early, costing himself and his teammates a gold medal. And I guess on a side note, a couple of guys did not end up getting the military, military service, service exemptions because of that. Mm. So, uh, but, you know, just make sure you, you finish what you, what you started. And uh, whether it's a video game or roller speed skating, uh, whatever competition, when you're, when, you, when, you, when, you're, when, you, when you're competing, when you're uh, you know, representing the country, just kind of finish it until the end and make sure, uh, you know, you have the right mindset going in. Okay, with that, we'll end our Asian Games coverage. Next up, of course, Paris for the 2024 Olympics. Uh, Steve, Gio, thank you for that wrap-up, and we'll speak to you both again soon. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us on. This is pianist Sonny Yegwan. You're now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio.
We've come to our closing segment now, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features, reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Korea Times and the Korea Herald. And for that, we have in the studio with us our staff editor, Richard Larkin. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. Good to see you too. Okay. So what's the first article that you have for us today? First is Ji Da Gyum's article that can be found on page two of tomorrow's Korea Herald. We all know about the large-scale attacks on Israel by the militant group Hamas, which has now turned into a war between the two. Well, the surprise attack has intensified security concerns in South Korea, and the article includes comments made by Defense Minister Shin Won-sik on Tuesday. Okay, so I believe this was during a press briefing with reporters. His first press briefing, as he is the new defense minister, he took office just this Saturday. So what did he say were the biggest security concerns then? Well, he said that Korea needs to fortify its military readiness against possible artillery attacks by Pyongyang that could hit densely populated metropolitan areas. He added that Israel had inadequate aerial surveillance over the Gaza Strip and suggested that Korea should suspend the inter-Korean military agreement because it limits Seoul's monitoring capabilities. That's because the agreement includes no-fly zones near the border. Right, so he's been making comparisons with the situation uh, in Israel and Gaza with here in South Korea, North Korea. Mm. Uh, The initial attacks uh, over there, of course, over the weekend to show how countries perhaps uh, need to be prepared for anything at any time then. Right, according to the article, Hamas claimed responsibility for launching over 5,000 rockets during a 20-minute assault, and some were able to evade Israel's Iron Dome missile defence system. Well, the South Korean military believes that there are over 1,000 different types of artillery pieces deployed near the military demarcation line in the north. They have the capacity to fire more than 16,000 artillery shells per hour. So Yoon Jae-ok, the People Power Party's floor leader, has also come out on Tuesday and said that if Pyongyang carried out a similar attack, it would be challenging for South Korea to defend the front line and the metropolitan area. Yes, well, while direct comparisons with the situation here will have its limits, uh, the situation uh, in Israel has certainly uh, raised tensions around the world. Yes. Let's continue on now. What's the next article you've found in tomorrow's newspapers? Well, I have chosen a story that I thought would help end the show on a bit of a lighter note. Mm. It can be found in the trend section of the Korea Times and was written by Kwon Mi Yu. It's about the Canadian poet and children's book author, Jordan Scott, who came to Korea for the first time last week. He was invited by the Wow Book Festival and there he talked about his work and his life. Okay, so for our listeners who are not familiar with Scott, can you tell us a bit more about his books? Sure. The article says that his works stand as a testament to the beauty of imperfection and the richness of human interaction. They are there to help those who have issues with speaking, for example, having a stutter, uh, in a world that often prioritizes smooth communication. He himself had a stutter as a child, and Mm. his book, I Talk Like a River, was created as a way for him to explain his own way of speaking to his children. He talks more about his past and how he became an author. The details can be found in tomorrow's article, along with details about a possible collaboration between him and Korean writers. Oh, interesting. Okay. Would that be for a children's book? It doesn't say exactly, but he did meet with Korean writers and English literature professors at the Embassy of Canada during his trip. And it sounds like plans are being made to publish an anthology of Korean and Canadian writers next year as part of the 2024-2025 Korea-Canada Year of Mutual Cultural Exchange. But who knows, there could be more collaborations in the future. Okay, to read more, check out tomorrow's Korea Times. That's where we wrap it up. Richard, thank you for bringing us those stories and we'll see you next time. Thank you. 
And that's where we wrap up our show today. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon Jiangwa. And thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. Don't even think about checking that message or texting back. Did you know it only takes three seconds after a driver's attention has been diverted from the road for a crash to occur? Texting while driving is six times more likely to cause an accident than driving under the influence of alcohol. Sending or reading a text message causes drivers, on average, to take their eyes off the road for five seconds. When driving at 80 kilometers per hour, that means that drivers travel approximately the length of a football field with their eyes closed. At KBS World Radio, we value our listeners' safety and well-being. If you're listening to our programs while driving via your mobile device, please hit play before you set off on your journey. If you receive a message or a call while driving, either use a hands-free Bluetooth device to respond or wait until you've arrived at your destination. You're not just putting your life at risk. Distracted driving accounts for approximately 25% of all motor vehicle crash fatalities. Arrive alive. Morani, Pigikajinan, Kim Young Lang. Until peonies bloom, I Kim Yong-nak. 모란이 피기까지는 나는 아직 나의 봄을 기다리고 있을 테요. 모란이 뚝뚝 떨어져 버린 날, 나는 비로소 봄을 여인 서름에 잠길 테요. Until peonies bloom. I'll just go on waiting for my spring. On days when peonies drop, drop their petals, I'll finally languish in sorrow at the loss of spring. 5월 어느 날, 그 하루 무덥던 날, 떨어져 누운 꽃잎마저 시들어 버리고는 천지에 모라는 자취도 없어지고 One day in May, that one sultry day When the fallen petals had all withered away There was no trace of peonies in all the world 뻗쳐 오르던 내 보람 서운케 무너졌느니 모란이 지고 말면 그뿐 내 한해는 다 가고 마라 My soaring sense of fulfillment crumbled into sorrow Once peonies have finished falling My year is over for all 360 days, I sadly lament. 
360날 한양 섭섭해 우옵니다. 모란이 피기까지는 나는 아직 기다리고 있을 테요. 찬란한 슬픔의 봄을. Until peonies bloom, I'll just go on waiting for a spring of glorious sorrow. 